Well, hello everyone. Uh, welcome out to Grace Church. Uh, my name is Josh, one of our pastors here, and uh, I'm excited to be in this conversation. We're actually going to be finishing up this series today, uh, Why It Matters. And so uh, if it's your first time here this weekend, uh, all this is online. I encourage you to actually get all the different kind of components we've been talking about. Uh, it's been fun to walk through and now to kind of be at the end of it. Uh, what we've been doing, we've been just saying, uh, why does it matter? Some things that maybe if you grew up in church your whole life, uh, things that you've always done, and uh, maybe you've never thought about why we do them as a church, or maybe why as Christians or followers of Jesus, like they're distinct and different uh, in patterns in our lives. And maybe if you're new to following Christ, or maybe you're just kind of investigating that and you think that uh, some of the things that Christians do are weird or you don't maybe know the, what's behind it or the motivations, that's, uh, it's also helpful for that so that we can kind of explain uh, what's most of all behind some of these patterns and these habits uh, that we should be practicing as followers of Jesus. So uh, this weekend, we're actually going to be finishing it up with community and uh, I'm excited to talk about that. I'm our pastor of life groups here at Grace and so um, love getting to see community play out in our church and um, I think that community is a little bit different. Um, I think that when we talk about why it matters, I think we all want community. So maybe uh, we have a different starting point um, than we would talk about, you know, gathering together to worship or um, serving in good deeds or sharing our faith and evangelizing. Uh, Those are all those other conversations. Uh, But something about community, there's just a longing in us for that, right? We want relationships. We don't want to be on our own. Maybe there's times we want to be on our own, but we don't want to live our lives alone. And um, I think that what's different when we're starting in this conversation about thinking about our relationships and who we share life with is um, really what do you imagine it looking like? What's your vision? What are kind of your expectations for what community is going to look like in your life? Because I think we all think about it in different ways. And I think if we were to admit it, and maybe if we've seen this play out in some of our real relationships, that often what we have in our head and in our vision and our expectations for sharing life with others, it's often going to be, if we would admit, too idealistic. (laughs) We often expect community to be a lot better than most times in reality it really is. And I think that's normal. I think that there's just a longing in us for for it to be everything that it could be. I think we want to be accepted. I think we want to share life with people who are like us, who uh, we fit in with, who we can do everything with, who we can be real with, um, who understand us. And I I think all that's normal and fine. I don't think any of it's wrong. But I think it's uh, important for us to acknowledge what really is our expectations and our vision for community. Because often I think what I'm looking for, maybe what we're looking for, is kind of a unicorn. (laughs) It doesn't really exist. We've probably never really had it as much as we, uh, you know, the perfect kind of ideal way that we expect it to be. It's just a unicorn. It's kind of how family vacation is. And so I don't know the last time you went on family vacation, and maybe you're going to be gone for a long time, and you were maybe going to go camping or go to the beach, and you thought, this is going to be great. We're going to get time together, and it's going to be like this, and the weather's going to be like this, and we're going to go to this restaurant. And especially if you take kids on your family vacation. It takes about all of 15 minutes for that ideal picture in your head to be destroyed. <laughs> and you get there and maybe the weather's not good one day and maybe that restaurant, you know, closed or isn't open and maybe you forgot something in the camping equipment and uh, family vacation or just even vacationing in general. It's really easy to say, this is what I hope it'll be like. This is kind of the ideal expectation and it still falls short of that. It's a unicorn. And so rather than looking for 
uh, unicorn community. I'm just going to call it that. Uh, we need to strive for what we call a biblical community or maybe even gospel community. And it needs to be, we need to have a different set of expectations and a different vision, uh, especially to what God would call us to in community and why we as followers of Jesus, would, what we would pursue and what we would practice when it comes to our relationships. And so I have a definition for you or kind of a description of what gospel community is. Gospel community is messy people transformed by Jesus sharing life together. Messy, imperfect, don't have it all together. Sometimes their lives are chaotic. They ebb and flow. Real people who are transformed by Jesus and being transformed by Jesus sharing life together. And they're sharing life together because they are messy, broken, imperfect people. But what they share in common is a desire to follow and be transformed and offer Christ to one another. This is gospel community. This is biblical community. I actually kind of wrote some markers down of what the difference would be between a unicorn community, kind of ideally in our heads, what we think it should look like, and what gospel community really is. Unicorn community is going to be more like this. It's going to be more me-centric. It's, uh, I'm going to determine who I like. You know, maybe if you're wondering if you're going to show up to something, you're going to ask the question, hey, you want to go to the movies? And you would ask, who's going to be there? Who's going to be there? Um, is it valuable to me? Does the experience, uh, is it cool? Is it something I want to do? And gospel community, it's going to be more Christ-centric. Christ is going to determine who I like and who I love. And we're going to say, who did he bring into our lives? We're going to say, is it valuable to him? Is this something he wants to redeem? Is it not just a cool experience, but is it a redemptive experience? Unicorn community is going to worry more about the social implications. How does this make me look? Enjoyment's going to come from those expectations being met. My desires, kind of my concerns are going to take priority in unicorn community. In gospel community, the kingdom, the, the life and, and uh, love of Jesus, his kingdom, those implications are going to take priority. What, how it makes Jesus look, if he's calling me to serve someone else, that um, the kingdom, like the greater impact, and even others take a greater priority than even my own concerns. And enjoyment doesn't just come from the activity, but from closeness with Christ and with one another. In unicorn community, hurts and difficulties can ruin a relationship, and there's a fear that others won't accept me, especially if I don't fit in. But in gospel community, there's freedom that I'm accepted because of Christ and what he's done for me. And messy and different people are invited and expected to be a part of that. In unicorn community, messy and different people are exiled, right? And my own weaknesses and my own struggles, we're either just going to have to ignore them or justify them. But in gospel community, I can identify my weaknesses and struggles and we can begin to redeem them lovingly, gently with one another. See, unicorn community is not sustainable. It's not real. None of us have perfect relationships. None of us get all of our expectations and desires met. People let us down. But in gospel community, the thing that makes it different is who we pursue and what defines our relationships. And that's Christ. And it's his work in and through us, in and through that relationship, in and through that group of people. So we're aiming at gospel community. Here at Grace, we have a value that's, we value sharing life together. And so we are constantly trying to aim at gospel community. And you know, kind of throw out the idea that we'll have this unicorn, this, this perfect version of community that everyone will have perfect relationships. We know it's not possible, but that value of sharing life drives so much in our church that we would say, if you're only coming on the weekend, you're only getting half 
of the life of our church, that we want to get out of rows and get into circles, that if you want to make Grace Church your family, you need to be involved in each other's lives, that we want to know it, live it, and give it away. And so we would develop groups and environments and put people in spiritual leadership because we want to create those environments, right? We want to make community opportunities accessible to everyone at Grace. And so just so you know, like, that's an intentional thing. Uh, That's a big part of my role. And uh, why we would do all that is like, we want to share life together and we want to pursue gospel community. But more than just like what Grace Church does, we're here to talk about why it matters. Why does it matter to us today? And so uh, as we walk through this conversation, I want to walk you through three things. The first thing I want to walk you through is community for God. The next thing I want to walk you through is community for us. And the last thing I want to walk us through is the wisdom of community or what should I expect it to look like practically in my life today. And so starting with community for God, here's where this all begins. If you were going to the starting point for gospel community, you're like zoom all the way back and see like what actually defines this for me as a follower of Jesus. Someone um, who believes that God is the one defining my vision and definition of community. Where you're going to see is that God has perfect community within himself already. That eternally forever, God has already been in community within himself. So what what I mean by that is we're talking about the Trinity. Maybe you've heard of this, that uh, this foundational and distinctly Christian belief that God is one God, but three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. This concept we see, actually we do see it in the Old Testament in many ways. We see that God is complex, like we don't quite understand him. But in the New Testament, we begin to see through the revelation of Jesus, that Jesus comes and, and that God sends his Holy Spirit, we begin to actually put into some of these more clear categories what that complexity is all about. That God is relational. He's self-giving. He's personal. And it's hard to understand. Maybe you're like, oh my goodness, am I about to hear a sermon on the Trinity right now? It's complex. All right, I try to explain the Trinity to my six-year-old. Okay, and it's hard. I remember we were driving in the car the other day and he was asking me the question. He was like, dad, does God know everything? And I'm like, yeah, buddy, God knows everything. And he's like, so Jesus knows everything. And I decided to be a smart aleck about it. And I was like, well, there's this one verse in Matthew 24. And they're asking, you know, Jesus saying, I'm going to come back one day, but no one knows the day or the hour. Only the father knows, not even the son knows. And so I'm like, I guess Jesus doesn't know everything. And so uh, then I got a call from my wife and she said, what did you teach our son? And I said, why? What did he say? And uh, he said, he's telling me right now that Jesus isn't important. Only God matters. And I'm like, well, I didn't teach him that. I was like pointing out this verse in Matthew 24 and she's like, fix it, fix it now. And uh, I'm like, okay, Silas, but you know, just because like maybe the person of Jesus doesn't know everything, that doesn't mean he's not important. Like what did Jesus do? Um, and he's like, you know, Jesus died on the cross for a sin and he, ro- he rose again. I'm like, that's right, buddy. See, Jesus matters. What about, what about the father? Why does the father matter? What's, what's he do? And he thinks for a second and he goes, I don't really know. I think he's just playing around. And I'm like, no, like the father has like a role. And I'm like, how about the Holy Spirit? You know where the Holy Spirit lives, right? And I'm like, and he's like, in hell. And I'm like, in hell? No, he like lives in us. It's like, so I was telling Pastor Jeff this. He thinks my kids are screwed up. I messed them up. And so hopefully power kids can fix them because it's so hard to explain the complexity of God. And he's one, but he's three. And there's distinct roles. And the point isn't for you to solve a theological puzzle. It isn't for you to become a philosopher. 
but it is crucial that this is the foundation of our faith, who God really is and who we know him to be, who he's revealed himself to be. See, I can understand at a basic level, and it's easy to get confused and you can have arguments about it, but the Christian claim is that the universe is held together by a divine community of love. That is unique to the Christian faith. And the point isn't understa to understand it completely without any further questions. The point is to know and be known by this God and to participate in that love because that's what he wants. He's been in perfect relationship and in perfect love for all eternity. God's, God's never been lonely. He's, he's had himself. It's, it's mind boggling that this is who our God is. And so now what about community for us, right? If that's community for God, what about us? See, this is so important. If you want to understand that we're created from community or even that the God you, you know and pursue and worship, that he's a God of love, it's because he's love within himself. It's not just because he's nice or he started loving whenever he created us. He's always been a God of love. He's always been a God who's been self-giving, only focused on the other people within the Trinity. He's only been a God who's relational. There's no diagram I can show you for the Trinity. You wanna know how he's described father and son? It's relational, it's personal, the spirit in Christ, the spirit in us, that we would know God's name. We did a series earlier this summer where God told us his name is Yahweh, or the fact that Jesus put skin on. He was a real person. It's personal, it's intimate, it's relational. It's self-giving. And so the amazing reality for us is that God created us into that idea and that environment. When he made us, it wasn't out of need. If you go study any other ancient world religion, what you're gonna find is the reason God made people was because he needed them to do something for him. Created them out of need. The gods made them to serve or to, to do something and they put them you know, at the bottom of the food chain. But when God created us, we see that we were created for community with God and with one another. In the first pages of the Bible, it says it's not good that man would be alone. Loneliness, isolation, going and doing it on our own is not the way God intended it. God creates humans out of dirt, but he breathes his life into them. And he doesn't start them off at the bottom of the food chain. He starts them off as partners with him. Hey, come rule with me. Come create with me. Come live life with me and with one another. We see that in the first page of the Bible, Genesis 1. It says this, God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. See, right there, first page of the Bible, God is complex. Our image, our likeness, so that they, humanity, may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move on the ground. So God created mankind. He created humanity in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. See, God created us in his likeness with relational capacity to partner with him. We're set above the created order differently. He positions us close to him. And he creates us with differences, male and female. Right from the beginning, we are not going to be able to image God without the differences he has created within us. That's important. That, that there's no one perfect image of God, but it's going to take a collective effort. 
It's going to be through our differences, actually, that as we piece that together, we begin to see a more clear picture of who God is. He's in relationship. He's self-giving. He's sacrificial. He's love. He's in relationship within himself. And so community, I think what we're supposed to see it as is as a gift from God. He wants us to be a part of something that he's experienced within himself for all eternity. But here's the catch. Here's the catch. We are not in perfect community. We are not like God. We're broken. We're messy. We sin. The problem is, is that we by default live our lives apart from God. And so we have no idea what's been created in us, what we have a longing for. We have no way to, to seek that out. There's a longing in us, but we don't know how to get it because we live our lives separated from God. We're not like God. We don't naturally on our own live in perfect community. We're broken, messy, selfish, flawed, imperfect. We have weaknesses and struggles and baggage and shortcomings. And so we can't have perfect community on this side of eternity. It's a unicorn. <laughs> it's a unicorn. And so when I have someone come to me and, and wonder why the people in their lives are so messed up, I'm like, that's just the way it is. It's a unicorn. No one has perfect relationships. So in, in one sense, we have to stop looking for it. We have to stop looking for it. And we have to aim for something else. We have to aim for gospel community. What we have to aim for is transformed community, not perfect community, transformed community. We have to get back to the God who is in perfect community within himself. How do we do that? We didn't have to do that. Christ came to do that for us. This is the gospel. There are gospel implications. What, what Christ has done for us, there are implications of his work that affect our uh, ability to experience community of what he's done for us. Let me show you what I'm talking about. In Ephesians 2, Paul says this. He's writing to a church trying to explain what Christ has done. And he says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. See, we live separated from God. And Jesus comes after us, not just saying, I wonder when they're going to get together. I wonder when they're going to figure out who we are. I wonder when they're going to start walking in this love and this relationship and this life we want to give them. Instead, he goes to those who are far off and he brings them near. How does he do that? By putting skin on, by coming to our world, and by dying, by laying his life down, by becoming a servant. Paul continues, he says, for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Who are these two groups? See, if you're, if you're reading the whole book of Ephesians, you're gonna see that this is really conflicting for people, right? You begin to see in the Old Testament that God was working through an exclusive group of people. We call them the nation of Israel. And they, they were God's chosen set apart people. They were supposed to be a blessing to the world. They were supposed to be God's image bearers in the world, but even they fell short. And so Jesus comes, the only perfect one, and there are those who are God's chosen people who have been given the ability to image him and, and restore, redeem that image. And then there's the rest of the world. And God takes both of those groups of people and unites them into one in Christ. And he says, what I'm going to do is instead of there being division, instead of actually you thinking you're so special and you thinking you're so far off, I'm going to show that through Christ, no one 
is living in perfect community. No one bears my image and I'm gonna send my son and he's gonna tear down that dividing wall of hostility. And this is what it says he does. Instead of division, it says his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body, reconciling both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death the hostility. See, we are a divisive and tribal people. We do not want to be around people who are different than us, people who uh, don't look like us or who aren't on our team. And God knows that. And that is not what reflects his image. In Ephesians 4, it says that it grieves his spirit when we're bitter, when we won't forgive. He says, this isn't what I'm like, but it's, it's how we all are. And so we need Christ. This is the gospel. We need Christ to come do something different. We need him to die for us, to transform us, to make two divided groups of people into one and do something only he can do. And this is, this is the gospel. These are the gospel implications for community in our lives. We need Christ to redeem our relationships because there's no perfect group. There's no perfect relationships. We, and gospel community means that we're going to continue to refine that reflection of Christ in one another. So that, that's like the overview of it. That, that's that first, that community for God, community for us. That, that's like the package deal there. That, that God is in perfect community within himself and we were created for that, but we fall so short of it apart from Christ and him transforming us. The, the third and final part I wanted to walk you through was what I kind of call the wisdom of community. I think there's wisdom, wise living to be had when you share life with others. This is what the Bible defines as wisdom. It defines it as, I wrote it down uh, this way, uh, just kind of my definition, that knowing what is best in God's design and acting on it living it out, knowing what is best in God's design and living it out. See, sometimes living wisely means doing things that feel uncomfortable or feel unnatural, but we know that because God has told us or because we've seen the patterns of, of how he's created this world, we live it out anyway. And there's wisdom to that. I think there's wisdom in community and to pursuing that, pursuing gospel community. So I, I wanna share a little bit like, what is that wisdom and what does it look like to pursue that in our lives today and what should we expect and how do we find it and, and what to look for and who to be. So here's the first thing about the wisdom of community. The first thing is that gospel community brings people together who need each other to grow in Christ. It's, it's not bringing together some people who have it all together and some people who are gonna be the recipients of that Right? We are all people in need of being changed, of growing in certain areas of our life. Like none of us have arrived. And so anytime a relationship forms or a group of people get together, we need to all admit that. It doesn't matter if you have a Bible degree or a pastor. It doesn't matter if you just are beginning your faith. That we all come with that, that deficit in a sense, that there's growth. There's areas of our lives that still need to be changed and to surrender to God. We know we're not perfect. Nobody's perfect. We may even know that there are blind spots in our lives, right? Like, isn't it kind of scary that there are things in your life that you don't know that other people know about you? <laughs> blind spots that, that people can see areas of your life that need to grow and need to be surrendered to Christ, but maybe you don't see them. At, at a bare minimum, those are weaknesses. And, and 
kind of on the other end of the spectrum, those things can be dangerous to us. I've, I've never like wanted to do life on my own. Like I see it as a gift when people surround me and see parts of my life and speak into my life in ways that I wouldn't see on my own. And so actually we see this pattern in the Bible. Paul actually writes later in Ephesians, he says this, he says, instead what we should be doing is speaking the truth in love and we will then grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. See, when God put us together, he knew there was gonna have to be some hard work to be done. That we were gonna have to like speak the truth. That there was gonna be growing pains. That we were gonna have to mature that we don't come out looking like Christ. And certainly once we begin following him, we know we're not there yet either. It's going to take this mutual effort and, and it's done in love, in love. This isn't just uh, behavior management. This isn't just critiquing all the flaws in people's life. This isn't just saying, hey, oh, I saw this part of your life that doesn't look certain. It's, it's looking at the parts of our lives that need to experience the transformation of Christ, letting people into that and allowing them to speak the truth. Tell me what you see. How, how can I experience change in this? Have you experienced change in this? It's not a, just a tearing down and shaming each other, but it's a building up. That actually there's life, growth. Life is experienced more and more when we begin to interact with each other in these real, meaningful, transformative ways. So we speak the truth in love to one another. We build each other up. When I'm like training a leader of how to like go create this, or maybe if me and you sat down for coffee and you say, Josh, like how do I get that in my life? Usually what I do is I begin to talk about relationships. So Paul, we've been reading his letter to the Ephesians, Ephesians 2 and Ephesians 4. Paul wrote that to a church and Paul was someone who became a follower of Jesus. And over his life, God called him to become a church planner. And so he interacted with all sorts of people and he traveled all over uh, kind of that area and in uh, the Middle East and, and uh, Europe and, and uh, around that area there, around the Mediterranean. And he began to influence people. And Paul invested in a ton of people. And so I would say you need to look for someone who can be a Paul in your life, someone who can be a mentor, someone who's a little bit ahead of you in life. Someone who, who may be in a specific area or maybe it's just even age and stage of life that they can begin to kind of see patterns of your life and say, oh, I've seen that before. I've either experienced that myself or I've watched my peers walk through life and the paths that that's led them down. Someone who's a mentor, someone who's an advisor, it doesn't have to be anything spectacular. I have a mentor. We meet once a month at Bob Evans <laughs> and we have no book we go through. He just says, what's going on in your life? And I tell him all the ways I'm messing up. And sometimes, you know, there's things to work on, but often he's like, man, but all these things you're doing are going to invest. They're the right investment. And it's gonna play out this way and this in your kid's life and this in your marriage and, and this in your walk with Christ. There's encouragement I get. There's, there's saying, okay, this is the right thing. I know it's hard right now. A mentor. The other thing is that Paul wouldn't travel alone. He actually had a traveling companion, another missionary, a co-missionary and co-church player named Barnabas. And they would go on these missions together. He was a peer. They were, they were friends. They, were, they had the same ministry together. They were doing the same things in life. 
They, they were sharing the same rooms whenever they would be hosted by a family. They were friends. They, they were sometimes what we call iron sharpening iron. It wasn't like one had the upper hand over the other, but they were like figuring out life as it just happened. It wasn't about who had the upper hand. It was about we're doing this together. And so much of their lives were synced in those ways, especially spiritually. The other relationship you might want to look for is Paul, like I was saying, as he planted these churches, he would invest in people. And one of the people we know he invested in, actually the pastor of the church that he's writing to, the Ephesians, that pastor's name, his name was Timothy. Timothy was this young man. And Paul brought him along and he was just a beginner. He was just starting. He was learning how all this worked. And so Paul said, here, just come along and I'll show you what we've been doing. And he's writing to his student, Timothy, in this letter to the Ephesians. He's writing to Pastor Timothy. And he, he's encouraging him and he's reminding him of the gospel. And he's reminding him, remember, that there's no, the dividing wall of hostility has been torn down and Christ has made peace because his death and his resurrection are real. I mean, think about reading the book of Ephesians that way, that it's written to a church community, that it's written to a pastor that Paul's investing in. I think that all three of these relationships are crucial. I always am looking for these in my life and they change from season to season. Like it's not just the same people for eternity. They change, but this is where you would begin. Do I have these kinds of people in my life? Maybe there's people you think of and maybe you say, Josh, like, who bears the responsibility of initiating that? I would say whoever God places it on their heart and mind first. If you're a Timothy and you need a Paul and you see someone you want to shape your life toward and to invite into that space in your life, ask them. That's what I did. If you're a Paul and you see someone who needs discipled or maybe God just has brought someone through your neighborhood or your, your workplace or here at Grace, someone that you have an opportunity to invest in, say, hey, I, let's just take a season and let's meet together. I'd love to hear what God's doing in your life. I'd love to just encourage you and support you as you pursue him. Maybe there's people who are in that same stage and she's like, hey, we're gonna lock arms and we're gonna run after Jesus together. You look for these relationships. Maybe you even are lucky enough to be in a group of people who all this is playing out together. It sometimes works that way, it sometimes doesn't. So that's one of the wisdoms of community is that I'm gonna need to grow and God's gonna surround me with people who we need to grow together to be built up more into what he looks like. The second wisdom of community, like why it's wise, is I would say this, that a gospel community is gonna bring people together who are different from one another. And that does not sound good at first, right? That is like not my, that is not my ideal version of community. When I started leading a life group, I was like, I hope God brings normal people into my life group. And he didn't. And that's, you know, great. That's fine. God will bring all sorts of people into your life as you follow him who you didn't expect to share life with. And it doesn't just have to be a group. It could be where he places you, in your workplace, in your church family. It could, it could just be anywhere. And there are going to be people he calls you to who you share life with. And he's saying, hey, I want to work in and through you with that person. I want that person. I'm going to work in and through them with you. And I know they're different than you. But it's needed and it's good. And it's a part of the gift of community. I didn't really understand this until I was in college. 
And so uh, my freshman and sophomore year of college, I had the same roommate. It was great. Uh, We kind of like figured out how to get along. He wasn't too different from me. But my junior year, he became an RA and I became an RA at different parts of our hall. And um, I really scored because um, I had a fifth year senior who was going to be my roommate. And so he would only be there for a semester. And so I thought this was going to be fantastic. I would room with this fifth year senior for a semester. And then I'd come back from Christmas break and have the dorm all to myself. And so I was at Christmas break, uh, just enjoying that until I got a phone call from Student Life. And they said, hey, we're going to give you a roommate. And I said, no, you can't do that. And they said, well, we have this exchange student who's coming in and he's from South Korea and we're going to put him in your room. And I'm like, fantastic. And so I went uh, back to my dorm after Christmas break and was sitting in there, got a knock on the door and opened the door. And I said, hey, my name's Josh. What's your name? And he said, I'm Jerry Brown. I'm like, that isn't even a Korean name. (laughs) And he's like, well, when you come to the States, you get to pick your name. And I look like a Jerry Brown. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) whatever. (laughs) Uh, So Jerry Brown was my roommate for the spring semester. And uh, he was so different than me. I mean, he was an exchange student. He was getting his first dose of what American culture was like. And he got it from the version of me, a junior in college. And so if you want to know what that was like, uh, the first thing we did when he knocked on my door and we were selling stuff in is I said, Jerry, we're going to go prank someone. And so we got uh, my big trash can in my dorm and we went to the shower and we filled the trash can up with water and we leaned it up against the door. And I said, we're going to knock and then we're going to run. And so we knocked on the door, the trash cans leaned up against uh, the door full of water. And we're just kind of like peeking around the corner. And sure enough, when they open the door, the trash can just floods their room. And Jerry loved it. Jerry's like, this is great. America's fantastic. We can just prank everyone. And so we would watch like prank videos together on YouTube. And he just assumed like, this is what Americans do. They just like, you know, get on each other's nerves or something like that and destroy their property. And so I came back to the dorm one day and uh, Jerry said, Josh, I have our next prank planned out. And I said, okay, Jerry, tell me what you got. And he said, okay, I bought these items off the internet. I got a long black wig and a hospital gown and green body paint. And I'm going to put it all on. And at night tonight, we're going to chase girls around campus. I'm like, Jerry, like, this is not a prank. This is like probably a federal offense. Like you'll get deported or go to jail. I might go to jail. Like we're not doing this. And he's like, oh my gosh, I bought all this stuff. I at least want to put it on. Like, all right, we can put it on and take a picture, but then you're washing it right off. You know, we're not going to jail tonight. Jerry just, you know, uh, it was my fault. It was all my fault. That, that, the reason Jerry thought that this is what American culture was like. And I, I wish I could just give you the whole slew of Jerry Brown stories. One time we, he got a bike and just biked two hours away and then got lost and called me and I had to pick him up. He just wanted to explore America in Cedarville, Ohio. That's basically just a cornfield. He's like, I'm going to go bike it all. And Jerry was just so different than me. He ate different food. He had an accent. He read Korean. I mean, his classes were different. His, he was artsy. Jerry was so different for me. I would have never picked for him to be my roommate that spring semester. But you know, I began to learn so much from him. It was actually like so good and refreshing to be around someone so different. Yeah, he made our room smell like pickled cabbage one time. Yeah, you know, he got lost in Cedarville. But as we began to talk about his story how he worshiped in his church back in South Korea, what he understood God teaching him in his life right then, what God was teaching him in that exchange student experience. Like I began to see things about God. Like I've never been an exchange student. I've never thought this way about God. I've never allowed my prayer life. I've never allowed this mindset of what God wants to do in and through me 
It was so different. It was a gift, but I never would have chosen it on my own. See, it's good that we're around people who are different than us because that is actually how we begin to see the complete image of Christ. Paul would write this in another letter. He would say that just as a body, though, is one, it has many parts, but all its many parts form one body. That's how it is with Christ. He brings different people together to reflect his image more. It's needed, it's necessary. When we first started leading the life group, it was a very homogenous group, right? We were people in our 30s, married, most of us had kids. But over the last several years, we are not homogenous anymore. God has brought all sorts of people just into our lives and into our group. We have single people, we have married people, we have divorced people, we have people who have kids, people who don't have kids, people who can't have kids. We have people in our group who are in their 50s, people who are in their 20s, we have people of different races, we have people exploring Christ, we have people who are just kind of everyday disciple makers. We have people who are going through addiction recovery. We have people who are in six-figure household incomes and some people who don't have jobs at all. We have some people who are same-sex attracted in our group. We have people who have dying or aging parents. We have people who are struggling with depression and anxiety. And God lumped all of us together (laughs) and said, figure it out. Pursue me together. Let me transform your lives. And sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes we don't get each other. And sometimes we get each other better. Sometimes I began to see parts of Christ I would never see without that person's walk with with him. There's sometimes ways I'm able to lead others through things because he did something in me that now he wants to use in someone else's life, even though they're totally different than me. But being diverse isn't the goal. Don't hear that as like, see, we achieved it. But true love and unity within that diversity, it does create a clearer reflection of Christ. And that's the goal. The goal isn't just diversity. The goal is a clear image and reflection of Christ. And with whoever you're in in relationship with, whoever you're in a group with or whatever, that you're pursuing a transformed life by him together. And so it's, it's messy People aren't just different sometimes. Sometimes people are difficult too. Sometimes people need a lot of help. Sometimes you need a lot of help. You might say, man, Josh, actually the frustrating thing about every time we talk about community at Grace is I've never experienced that. I haven't experienced that. I haven't experienced that in the church. I haven't experienced that maybe even at Grace. And that's real. I I know that exists. I'm not trying to say like, oh man, how could that happen? Let me just affirm for you as the group's guy, programs don't equal community. We're not saying that just because you're in a program, you should have community. What we are saying is that we are trying to create environments. I mean, when you start a relationship with someone, a friendship, a mentorship, even, even a dating relationship, right? That what we hope is happening, that Grace Church is an environment, an ecosystem where you can pursue gospel community together. That it can happen. It is possible. It is acceptable. It is accessible. We're able to pursue it together. But community is only created as we pursue Jesus together and allow him to transform us. And sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's a little disillusioned. 
But I, I would ask you this. If maybe you're a little hurt or disillusioned with your view of community right now, I think a great place for you to start would maybe be, man, what is my vision and my expectation of community? Am, am I looking for a little bit of a unicorn? <laughs> Do I have God's vision for gospel community in my life? Am I willing to be around messy different people? Am I willing to change and be transformed by Christ? Am I willing to be around people maybe who wouldn't be my first choice? They wouldn't be on my fantasy draft? <laughs> maybe this is all new to you. Maybe you're like, how do I even get started with this? It sounds great and I wanna, I wanna do that. It's gonna take work and it's gonna take time. And, and sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's, it's great and incredible. But let me just tell you, you don't have to ignore the messiness or the pitfalls or the frustrations of community. You don't have to just say, oh, let me go, maybe go try a different group or maybe just give up on that relationship. I would say, ask Christ, how do you want to redeem this? Be willing to pursue Christ together with whoever he brings into your life. It's a gift to be able to have options. Most of the people in the church throughout history, like they had who they had <laughs> and they were more unified than we were with all these options. And maybe you do already have this, maybe, maybe, or maybe you're in an environment where it should be happening. And I would encourage you, make sure you're being this. Don't just expect from people, but expect of yourself. Invite people to participate in your life. Not just a who will do this for me, but who can I do this for? Who can I invite to be that mentor, that friend, that beginner? because that's what God does for us. He is our source. That is the gospel. If all you've experienced is shame, what he wants to do is he wants to give you grace. If all you've experienced is isolation, Jesus wants to experience invitation in his church. If all you've experienced is that disillusionment and division, what he wants for you is reconciliation. If you have that hostility, he wants to give you peace. He doesn't want it to be a tearing down and not enjoying. He wants it to be a building up in a place where there can be life. And Jesus Christ came to create that for us. The only way we can have that is through him. And so when everything else fails and nothing seems to working, we just run back to Christ. And we say, I, I know what I need is you. And I know you are always there for me. You meet me in those moments of isolation and shame and fear and hostility. You bring near those who are far off. You tear down that dividing wall. You bring reconciliation. You bring peace. That's why we do it. That's why it matters. Is because Christ wants to do something in you. You were created for community. Community with God and with others. And the only way to experience that is to allow Christ to transform you and redeem your relationships. He can do it. He, he came to do that. Let me pray for us as I, the band comes out. God, we want to focus on who you are. The starting point of all this is that you are what we need. God, we wish we could have what you have within yourself. And you created us for that. That longing is right but God, we know that we are so far off and we are so in need and that is so less than ideal. And so what we want to invite right now is you to enter into our lives in a new way, enter into our relationships in a new way. Like we're, we're tired of shame 
We're tired of hostility. We're tired of division. So within your church, within Grace Church, would you bring peace and reconciliation? Would you bring your wholeness? Would the, would the gift of yourself be experienced in and through our church? God, we want to work for it. We want to fight for it and forge it, but we need you to do it. We need you to transform us. We need you to help us extend grace to others. You need us to be willing to trust you as we move toward other people, God. And would what at the end of all this work and at the end of pursuing community be is more of an experience of yourself. And I pray that you would give us that gift in Jesus' name, amen.